0: Constructed Criticism is brought to you by our three amazing sponsors, Grey Viking Games, Oasis Games, and PureMTGO.com. You can find them directly in the links in the show notes and use the codes associated with each sponsor. We appreciate each of them and definitely think that you should check them out for all your Magic the Gathering needs. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode of Constructed Criticism.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 377th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your Meat Hook Massacre host, Mason, joined by Scoot Swarm co-host Abe and Spencer Hatland today. How are you guys doing?
0: Apparently, I'm part of a Scoot Swarm. So how's it going, uh, fellow Scooter? Abe?
1: Uh, I'm just kind of, like,
2: uh, sad that Mason picked, like, one of the most... You know, one of the worst cards against the Meat Hook Massacre <laughs> to represent us. You know, like if if we had to be a card, it couldn't have been like something with like five toughness that like really like a or like even like a Redane that really just you know gives Meat Hook Massacre a little bit of trouble. But instead, he just thinks that we're
1: we're Scooties. I I just just thinking about what I need to say in the moment because you know I improv these all in the moment. I don't think about them that much ahead of time normally unless something happens. And so meat hook mason a little mmm, that made sense. And then I have two co-hosts; they're doubling on me. So I was like, "Scoot swarm," little one two, because I couldn't think of one for Abe and Spencer that I could tie in all together.
0: Mason, I have to answer. So, you, do you a know lot of what? Jokes? Paul, trigger on the stack, double my co-hosts. There you go. Do you know what Scoop Mob does? Oh, Dies to meat hook Mob. massacre. Do, do, Scoop do, Mob. Ooh. It's
2: like it's the green. uh... What's it, that, Dragon Master Outcast? Yeah,
0: it is the green Dragonmaster Outcast. Mason, I don't believe do you, you. Do you? know what it does. <laughs> if this, up, this, if, this if you give five more const- lands
2: or six more lands, this card did five const- plus one plus one counters.
0: Yes, it did see constructor play a couple of times. It was not very good, but it did see constructor play. I don't believe you. I'm like <laughs> this <the> card. <laughs> green. You No, we're not. It's true. <laughs>
1: Anyway, (laughs) Anyways, it's week one standard boys. Today is exciting. We've had the set now for five days if you count, you know, the first day. There weren't that many hiccups on it all if you don't count Magic Online, which we'll get to later in the show. So we're going to be going all over the standard data from the MitGo challenges this past weekend. I'm sure we'll touch on the Hooglandia one as well. But before that, we do need to do always improving because it is the goal of the show to be improving constantly. And Spencer... We didn't have an always improving last week because it was the, you know, the set review and you've returned now. So I'm going to give you that first one up since now you're officially back as a co-host. Take it away.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, it's, it's funny because I've been thinking about this podcast for, you know, a couple weeks now, knowing that I was going to rejoin it and kind of thinking about what this, but first of all, what this segment means to me and like where, where I need to improve at magic to be like the best co-host that I can be. And one of the one of my big magic goals right now is to pl- not not just play more decks, but like really understand what standard and historic are trying to do. You know, I, I'm probably not going to be the the modern guy or the legacy guy on this podcast right now, and so for me it was like, okay, I need to just consume as much standard stuff as I can. So I actually. Uh, looked at all of Yeoman uh, 5's fifty decks uh, uh, this week. I looked at uh, there's this guy. He writes for uh, I think it's Card Kingdom. Maybe that's maybe that's uh, I don't what, know. What a trash place. And uh, <laughs> just kind of looked at some of his standard stuff. His name is like Mason Bark. Um, it just kind of oh esports on Twitter. That guy. What yeah. a,
1: what a washed up place. Sorry, we go right <laughs> off stream.
0: but uh, and then just kind of. You know looked looked as as many places as i could for con for content and then it, it's funny because like i had a kind of a rough weekend family wise um so i didn't get the chance to record a deck tech but i also just played uh mostly standard like i am the kind of person that typically on arena uh kind of because of disposable income that i typically have just buy the the package deal that gives me the draft and the seal tokens and then you know the, the packs to kind of just keep my account going and I actually just haven't used my draft tokens yet, uh, which is really not normal for me, but it is because of this podcast. And so for me, it was kind of, my always improving this week specifically comes down to learning, learning from other people in a way that works for me. So like a really good example of this that we'll get into in the podcast is I didn't even try to build mono green, um, at all. And today after work before this podcast, I just jammed games of Mono-Green to prepare for the show because I was like, well, I already know half of these cards. I think this deck is already really good. And was pleasantly surprised that by like just some of the deck build- building prowess by other people. I think pretty often like we just see something, don't understand what somebody else is doing and just think it's a bad idea or and don't question it, but you know, I was able to play the third place list from the Hooglandia Open. And that deck is clean. Like, there is so much good stuff going on in that list. And I think it might be from the challenge. I'm not sure when the events took place and stuff like that. But that, that list was clean. Uh, it, took, it also did well in one of the challenges. And I don't know, just just taking an opportunity to learn from other people. I, I did play a bunch of other decks, and I'm going to be doing a deck tech on mono white aggro. But I really took the opportunity to kind of consume massive amounts of deck lists. What about you, Abe?
2: uh my always improving this week um kind of I've been thinking uh a lot about the Invitational on the horizon uh you know for those of you not in the know the City Games Invitational is returning at the end of October and um I don't know like I something about not being able to play something that feels this big for a long time has really ignited the fire in me and so I've like I don't think I've set myself a uh a really clear set of like goals for my testing and um, you know, a set like a checklist of things I want to get done and understand when it comes to modern um, or, you know, the amount of time that I want to be putting in uh, to standard probably since like the last time I played a pro tour. And it's just been really exciting to, to feel that way and do that and uh, be taking the time and like saying, you know, I'm going to play this many hours of standard. You know, I'm focusing right now on grinding my way into mythic, which I, haven't had the time to be doing um partially because i've been playing a good amount in paper um with the pre-releases and stuff and uh and also because i've been having way too much fun drafting but knowing that like you know instead of just drafting my way all the way through this weekend i have the podcast and i want to you know really have my have my fingers in the in the mix uh when it comes to the format um for standard i've been working like pretty hard on that i haven't i have a draft i'm pretty sure i'm gonna seven wins i haven't touched um on my account right now but uh it's just setting myself a set of goals holding myself to them uh when it comes to standard and, and arena specifically is uh something i haven't done in a long time i'm really
1: excited to be doing how about you mason Kind of similar to that. Um, I mean, same for me with the invitation on the horizon. Also, if we gotta look and see our names aren't on the website for being invited, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. I said that before No, the I haven't I haven't looked. Yeah, for some reason we're not on there. None of the top thirty two people are. Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> you can add that out if Spencer. But uh
0: no, I like yeah. it. I like the uh, the <laughs> casual top thirty-two plug. It's uh, it's good. Well, content. you want to get down
1: <laughs> to you know top sixteen for some yeah. of us. To, you know, it doesn't really and it doesn't matter. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, I really wanted to work on standard because, like Ape said, the Invitational is coming up and it's split standard, and modern, and so there's a lot of work to be done in both those formats. But so with the nature of standard and how things change so rapidly, a lot of my time, if I would have put into standard right now probably won't pay off in huge dividends like it would in modern but i have other obligations you know i, I write for card kingdom where people like spencer sometimes read it and i have to do the standard stuff there and i have this podcast i know we're gonna talk about standard and so i really wanted to put a bunch of time in playing a variety and a wide swath of decks and so i wanted to just basically my goal kind of for this weekend was at the end of the weekend going on to the podcast i want to have played all the decks we're going to talk about which i have successfully done i've played a good amount with all of the decks we talked about in varying degrees. And I wanted to play with all the cards that I could or absorb content, pl- watching people play with those cards so that I have a really good base understanding of at least how these cards kind of interact and stuff. So that when we get to like the two weeks out from the intentional mark and I can really focus on standard, I'll have done a lot of like work on figuring out the little minutiae stuff. And I'm uh, sorry, I can, I can start working on the minutiae stuff. I already have the base understanding of how these cards play and stuff like that. And so I, I did that. I mean, uh, I took yesterday kind of off, but I got 40 hours of standard in over the last five days easily. You know, so, I, <laughs> I'm,
0: I actually, I'm actually impressed that your always improving moment wasn't the fact that you haven't ducked, dunked on Abe yet for his take on a certain card during our pick two set review. There's still time, I, baby. Is there I, still time? It was like one of the most played cards in the challenges. <laughs>
1: Things will fall, baby. You know, I'm gonna give him time. I will say, uh, you know, I, I don't know that card's name, Le- Lear something, the disciple of the the passive flame from the graveyard. I believe is what Abe's talking. Uh, uh, no, no, talking I was about.
0: talking about the the two three that gives another wolf haste and uh, plus one plus or gives a wolf play. Or, uh, oh
1: yeah, Mason
2: nailed it on that. I never, <laughs> I never said that I thought he couldn't nail it on. That. <laughs> I know. I just thought that he loves three threes for three. I want to clear the air. If anyone <laughs> thinks that Mason and I are beefing over this, I just think Mason loves a three power haste creature. Why can't I create? Awesome.
0: Why can't I create the beef? <laughs> you know? um,
2: the people, you're tearing us apart, Spencer. Dude, I'm just here to
0: insert disruptions. <laughs> Since there's like there'll be one co host in a couple of weeks, of this no, race. no, I don't want that. <laughs> I
1: don't want that at all. <laughs> it's a solo show for you know it. Take his left and his right arm. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, so my, my goal though was to get that understanding and everything and just kind of like have it. And I feel really good about standard right now. I mean, I, I've also put a good bit of time into like building decks and stuff like that. And I think I actually built like a legitimately good deck right now that just needs a little sideboard work. And so, but one of those things where like, I played it a bunch, uh, ABM. And so I've, I won like 13 games in a row with this Bant deck. And I was like, I should keep playing this deck, but also I should just go and learn more other decks and do that sort of stuff. So I did. Here we are. Well, that's going to do it for the Always Improving segment of the podcast. We're going to hop right kind of into our main episode show today with the the standard power rankings, I'm gonna hand this off to Spencer. But before I do, if you do wanna support the show, the show will always be free. We go to patreon.com slash ccmtg and all this data will be there for you, along with a majority of the deck lists that we have been playing and stuff like that. Uh, And you can ask us questions and things of that nature, you know, and we can kind of work through it all together. But Spencer, we're doing the power ranking episode. How are these points made? What is this? Can you kind of break it down for everyone listening?
0: Yeah, so this is like, old school CCMTG uh thing so a long time ago this guy named Frank Karsten he's like a pretty good magic player he might even be you know I don't know he definitely is in the hall of fame uh he actually wrote an article on how to rank magic decks uh after a tournament and we actually took that article and kind of applied point totals uh and, and kind of made an adjustment for the SEG cycle so Uh, so the way that we rank decks is we we give points according to finishes uh his his for what it's worth is actually according to record but it was easier for us this way but basically for top 32 you get one point if there's enough deck lists to make that work those are typically really large events like gps or or segs stuff like that uh top 16 is two points uh fifth through eighth is three points Fourth through third through fourth is uh, four points. Second place is five points, and first place is six points. So, Matt, we're not going to go over these decks individually while we're talking right here. Um, we're actually just going to I mean, just going to read off the the decks that we sh- we're going to talk about uh, and their point totals, and then we'll actually discuss it. But like like Mason said, if you want to kind of see the data, like you want to see the spreadsheet that these are in, uh, along with you know, an explanation of it, it's both in the Discord and on the patreon uh so with that being said in uh, an honorable mention we we'll, we're going to give out to green white storm the festival uh this came in with four points two top 16 finishes next up we have uh in fifth place we do have red black uh Mid range coming in with six points, only one finish with a, with that finish being a win, uh, our tiebreaker typically is the total number of finishes for a deck, uh, coming in with fourth point, uh, coming in, in fourth place, we have blue red dragons with six points, all of those points coming from top 16 finishes in third place. We have mono green with 16 points in second place. We have gruel wolves with, uh, 17 points. And in first place, we have gruel mid range with 23 points.
1: Awesome. Well, I, I'm gonna kind of kick things off and we're gonna have a pretty, you know, open, free-forming conversation today about all this sort of stuff. And we're gonna hit all these things and we think the format's about. I am not surprised to see the gruel Shell be the one that's on top this weekend. I think the Asika's Chariot into Renin 7 dynamic is very hard for any deck to beat if there are that deck's in the play and it outgrinds most decks actually as well. And it has the explosive uh, Jesper Sentinel, Magda, Tangle Hedron early package to get to those things sooner, double spell more, and then the deck is just so resilient with you have so many different threats you can play in the middle there. Like you can play Arlen, you can play Stormseeker, you can play Briarbridge Tracker. The Gruul Shell, specifically in the mid range, I, I'm not surprised at all to see up here. Do you all kind of agree? Like, do you feel like this is, I mean, I, I think the deck is kind of the litmus test for the format, to be honest. I think if your deck can't be Gruul, you can't play your
0: deck. Yeah, I post, know, currently. I pu- So I have kind of two thoughts to kick to kick off, and I agree with most of what you just said. I think uh, when I was playing this weekend, I had my level zero decks as Gruul, uh, Blue-Red Dragons, Gruul Wolves, Blue-Green Ramp of some kind, and Blue-Black Control. So I, I do think that we should mention the fact that this data that we use for these power rankings is coming from MTGO. Abe, what are the cards currently basically banned on MTGO?
2: Yeah, so... There is a little bit of a a strange metagame factor in Magic Online right now where uh, Siphon Insight is actually unplayable, and if you cast it, the game no longer works, Uh, and so you can't play it in any format, and it's not even showing up in, like, the booster packs for draft, Uh, and I forgot the name of the card, but the green-white legend that gives your humans, like, for one man of any color, uh, that card, yeah, that card uh, does not give the ability to any humans or itself. So, uh, there's a little bit of a, an asterisk on some of these results. You know, there's not uh, the same depth of, of archetypes. You can't really play a blue-black deck without Siphon Insight that cards. Very important to the archetype. The yeah. control decks are kind of un- are extremely underrepresented. I know of at least two people who uh, would have played the archetype, but couldn't because, uh, like, that's what they played on Arena. They were going to play the Sunday Challenge, but when they realized they couldn't play Siphon Insight, had to go kind of this... Uh, way of playing a Chariot rend deck.
0: Yeah, um, I think that Mason brings up, like, the perfect point of, like, the litmus test, though. I think Chariot specifically, like, that that felt yeah. like the litness test to me. Uh, even to the point where the... I'm really bad with names. I'm sorry to everybody on the podcast. The 2-2 two, two Werewolf that uh, you can sacrifice one to kill an artifact or enchantment, but when it flips, whenever it attacks, that card has been, like weirdly good
1: i believe that's kessick outcast
0: oh man that would be so impressive if you got that mason it's Bonus. definitely
1: outcast for sure, for uh, sure. That, writing articles the one good thing about it besides getting paid the other good thing <laughs> is i've learned card names i am like getting a lot better because I, I was typing about this deck like Ooh, it's after. outland liberator
0: <laughs> cut this from the podcast <laughs> <laughs> my my point is is like it's just like cards like that it it, it kind of reminds me of uh Thrashing Brontodon, when it first came out, saw a ton of play, almost specifically because of uh, Experimental Frenzy. Like, you just actually needed answers in your deck for Experimental Frenzy. And in all honesty, like, the the way that Chariot impacts the format kind of reminds me of that, where it's like, okay, hey, if this is on the field for, like, two or three turns, the game is just over. Like, you yeah. you have to kill this.
2: Yeah, it sort of feels like a Gideon ally of Zendikar <laughs> effect, where, like, this card... Single-handedly is just just every game it's cast changes the dynamic of the rest of the game around it. Uh, it's really really powerful, and you know there's options for counterplay to it. People, I think especially the dragons players playing Cinderclasm, um, but like the the way that standard is function functioning right now, almost every deck that you would consider like one of the best decks to be playing, and probably anything if I was going to go out and ladder right now would have to have some plan of playing a Mana Accelerant on two, uh, a Chariot on three, and a Ren on four. Because that is just the de facto best curve you can have in standard right now as far as putting your opponent on the back foot. You you just generate so much power and toughness so quickly. You get so much value. You, you, you're you leaving around so many... like The Chariot alone making four power is good when you're behind and is really good at pressing when you're ahead with just the 4-4 four, four Chariot you're just leaving Renin 6 leave behind a Planeswalker with the tokens most important card. Uh, yeah, it's, I had uh, I've, I've had crazy. people
0: just literally concede to chariot into Renin and, Ren and 7 by the way, not Renin 6. Eight. Come on. Come on. Oh my bad. No, I'm just I'm just teasing you. Uh one one thing that I wanna mention though is actually what you just said, which is like having a plan. One of the things that we saw from the MTGR results that we weren't seeing from like, you know, whether it's Fire Shoes or Arena Decklists Twitter, is the Gruul decks were like playing mostly the the two mana deal three or discard draw two or um or um like or like shock basically. And one of the things that the people on MTGO did is they actually started playing Dragon's Fire with Moonvale Regent. So that they actually had more things to turn on the Dragon's Fire than just their Goldspan Dragons and the Gruul decks, so that they could actually kill four power, four toughness things, which was not something that was happening on Arena during the first couple days.
2: Yeah, yeah, that sure. was some. That was something I was going to bring up is that uh, if you're out there, like, you know, trying to make headway in this format, you've got to be able to kill a chariot. Like, it's gotta, it's gotta happen. And Dragon's Fire is one of the best ways right now. I think between that and like Power Word Kill. You, You've got to be playing something you can cast for cheap uh, so you're not falling behind on tempo to leave up your
1: removal spell just to deal with that card. No, for sure. And, and cards like Tangle Trap, for example, uh, which is one in a green, deal five damage to target flyer or destroy an artifact have just risen so much in playability between the way to answer Goldspan Dragon as an answer or Seekha's Chariot and both for the grill decks is so huge. Uh, I mean... These two have mentioned it so much here and I just want to nail it home before we go forward because we are going to be talking through the lens of this. A Seeker's Chariot is like the best thing on rate to be doing. It might not end up being the best thing to do, but that card is just so all-encompassing. It's three bodies for eight power and when you hit the Ren seven half of your deck, it's just so, so strong. Um, and that's before we talk about anything else in relation to it. But yeah, I, we've seen some real innovations. I think the Gruul players adopting the Dragons and the Roar as a way to answer that has been really good. It's also really good in the Mirror Matches because the ground can get clogged up a little bit. And 4 Toughness really is the break point. It's like part of the reason Chariot is so good is dealing 4 damage to something is actually so hard. So Moonvale Regent and Goldspan Dragon are also kind of making like, hey, you have to be able to deal 4 with your cards if you're going to. Play them in this format where they need to be non conditional answers, and I think this is why cards like Skyhull Apparition have really risen in stock, which we'll talk about here more in a little bit. The other big thing, Gruul players did this weekend. And I'm kind of curious what y'all think is they kind of adopted a little bit of blue to their decks, you know, with some negates and maybe a disdainful stroke in their sideboard. What do y'all think about this option to kind of play a couple pathways and just open up those things? Because I was a big fan of it back with Soul Tiles and Maimon being a real deck in the format before Gruul kind of got phased out. But right now, you know, people are kind of doing this as a response to maybe some of the control decks or some of the, like, green-white decks that really hit their power cards. What do you think about Abe specifically with the negates and the stroke? Uh, I think that, like, going the the kind of, like, wet rule option of playing
2: some counter magic in this deck is a lot uh, better of an application in this format than it necessarily was in the previous format against Sultai, because the cards you're seeking to answer with that right now are just, like... Uh, Storm the Festival, and Ren and Seven specifically. Uh, And that, because there's not, like, another dynamic to it, those cards are literally in the deck to catch up on the board uh, and to make it so they don't get run over. Like, that's their Hail Mary. Okay, I'm going to cast this. I'm going to get my Ren and my Chariot or whatever. Um, You know, I'm going to stabilize the board from this point. Keeping them off balance of that, because they're casting their, you know, win condition-like ultimatum card earlier. The, the more over the top mid range decks, um, being able to counter that is is a lot bigger, and uh, you don't have to like necessarily worry about fighting over sweepers or other things. You're able to be a point where like, well, my opponent's on six mana. If I'm, if my draw wasn't ahead enough on board that I can leave up counterspell, uh, I probably kept a bad hand. So uh, I think it's you know not surprising that uh, I think I saw like what two of the the top eight gruelists lists were were ones with blue, and and those had success, and I think. The one that won um, Saturday's challenge was blue. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that's like, uh, at least for now, uh, pretty big. And um, the pathways are really, really good for splashing the blue cards anyway, because your mana base is so clean otherwise that uh, it doesn't really cost you a ton outside of the sideboard slots.
1: For sure. Let's kind of talk we're talking about Grill Werewolves before we move on, since it's like the other Grill deck. I have been less than impressed with this deck every time I've played against it. Uh, It seems to me like it's trying really hard to kind of, like, go under everyone. And while it still has some of the elements and, like, I believe most of us still play Cherry and stuff, um, it just feels like it's not as strong as the more mid rangey builds and just lacks ability to go into the later game. And I think a lot of the decks right now are really good, actually, at, like, staving off the early stuff. And then cards like Chariot actually beat you because they're so hard to answer. And like you play like on turn, like your one, two and your three get answered. And then you play your Chariot and that wins the game. Uh, and so I, I don't know how y'all feel, but I have not been impressed by the Wolf stuff that much when I played with or against it. Spencer, yeah. how do you feel about it?
0: Yeah, I, I think that kind of the, some of the things that it's interesting because you, you guys were just talking about how clean the mana was in Gruul. In and to basically nobody's surprise, probably, the decks that I've played the most. One of the decks I've played the most is just different versions of the Gruul deck. And I actually thought the mana was kind of clunky in Gruul in a lot of ways. So the thing is, is that one of the reasons that I like the Blue Splash for what it's worth is that I actually think that, like, it, it lets you play, uh, it, it lets you catch up when your mana is awkward uh, in a lot of different ways. And... The thing is, is like you can't do that when you have like red, red, uh, a green, red two drop in your deck. That's like one of your best cards for your deck. It actually just emphasizes some of the problems that the Gruul deck can sometimes run into. Uh, and I think that you can't actually play the. Well, maybe you could. I'm starting to doubt myself. One of the things that happened pretty quickly for me is I started switching to like Naya Showdown decks from Gruul to try out. I did not have some of the technology that some of these girl decks have that I think that are, is a little bit better, but the werewolf deck has a couple of problems. One, even if you just look at the first place list from the first challenge, like you are worse on rate than a lot of, than, mo- than a lot of the cards that the other deck gets to play, but they can play all of your cards. So like, uh, there's nothing stopping me from playing the two, through werewolf that gives something haste or... And, Pumps my guys, right? Which is, like, arguably one of the best cards in the the Wolves deck. And, you know, there's also nothing stopping me from going the other direction, going more green heavy and just playing pack leaders of my own. And, like, now you have this deck that has pack leader and this 2-2 that, like, gives you mana and does ramp you to your Arlen, but, like, my ramp package is already better, right? Like, I'm already playing better a better ramp package or just the same one so I, I have a hard time seeing the upside of playing the wolves deck
1: yeah so the best thing about storm seeker and the like the more wolvesy version of it all is that your chariot attacks the turn you play it more consistently and that that's but a way to swing a chariot mirror but
0: but there's nothing stopping there's nothing stopping me from giving my chariot haste the other way, right? Like, the Gruul that could still do that. And some of them yeah, I, did. Like, some of the Gruul decks are just actually doing that.
1: Yeah, and I, I I, think that's good. I think that you want to be, like... It's a little awkward, uh, but when you're on the play, it really it allows you to kind of have that a uh, mana excellent draw into your Asuka's Chariot without actually having it right, because you'll just be able to be attacking with your Chariot on four, which is what really matters. Now you lose the ability to curve into a Ren and copy the Ren token that you get with a mana elf, but having just another way to start getting the ball going I think is really good for the Chariot matchups. And when you're behind on the Chariot matchups, it lets you start to get in there a little bit and build up your board. Um, yeah, I I don't see much reason to play this deck over the others, because I think this deck does like have those ma- like i think it has the mana problems that you mentioned as well and it like does like kind of exacerbate those problems by having more cards like red and green on two yeah and i think that the kind of decks that you're wanting to pray on i don't think you pray on as well as something like mono green or mono white for yeah. example and i think those decks aren't particularly great right now i think the so lightning
0: bolt not being able to kill the key creatures like we just mentioned how the four toughness matters right mm-hmm. and uh, like obviously the the best creatures in the format half toughness so like the lightning bolt isn't this huge edge that i would get otherwise um which i think i don't know abe what are your what are your thoughts
2: uh yeah i just think that um i think that as like you know the first five days have played out um the werewolf deck was like really strong as being this like we're going to be the the fastest like a chariot uh shell you know we're going to be aggressive cast chariot as top end and that's going to be like the package but as the format is kind of adapted to that in the same way that like when you play sideboard games, your deck kind of has to slow down. I think that the Gruul mid-range deck has kind of, you know, we've seen with the Dragon's Fire development and like um, the deck has, you know, gone up half a step in in the way it's, you know, positioning itself with more, uh, you know, high-costed cards that are less, uh, you know, less about curving out and having this like unbeatable game one draw uh, or this really powerful punishing game one draw and more to making sure that they're just playing all the good cards. Um, and I think, uh, especially to your point about the mana, the Werewolf deck has noticeably worse mana, I think, than the um, than the real Midrange deck, specifically because of the fact it has so many more color requirements. If you go and look at the deck lists uh, on Magic Online or, like, through Goldfish, you can see very clearly, looking next to each other, like, the the Werewolf deck has so many colored pips to it. There's so many... Uh, Like cards in the early game where you just have to have the right color of mana, and the red green mana fixing is pathways and the lands that come into play as your third or later land, and they just don't lend themselves to that in the same way, Um, which is really important. And the rule deck, especially with the with the negates and disdainful strokes, gets to play a few more lands. um, You know, have these lands come into play untapped for the fixing they need it to be because their three drops matter a lot more than their two drops. and and I think it's just kind of a natural progression of the format that this deck kind of slows down, and the Werewolf deck, despite being a, a good aggro deck, is too easily hated out because it's too uh, it, it's too linear and too too small, and it's not uh, it's not ready for the way that people are starting to interact with what is the like the true level zero of I'm going to play all these wolf aggro
1: cards and I'm going to attack every turn.
0: Can I ask you guys what what manlands do you guys actually prefer in Gruul? Like, what do you, what do you think the manland package should be?
1: uh i think the creature land package should be one in one me
0: too. um i agree with that
1: yeah i, I <laughs> abe and i were talking about this the other day i have never activated a layer of the hydra
0: <gasps> i have put really it in
1: all i yeah I'm, i just win too much before neither <laughs> i uh i i put it in all my green decks and it looks to be great every time and it's very good against me whenever it happens i never get to activate it but i am sure it's quite good uh and i think Din the bugbear is also kind of good like i think having two bodies on the split is really important um and i think specifically for something like ren and six or sorry ren and seven uh pushing like that extra one point matters a lot because keeping them off another like tree is important it's also pretty easy typically to like have another little idiot get through you know and you lose the den the bugbear but them not producing any more tokens is so huge um that's been my experience with it but i also you know don't know for sure but that'd be my guess I lean that like despite I think the Bear being
2: a better attacking creature most of the time and it's a lot less, it's so man intensive to use Lair of the Hydra and also as I found from playing a lot this, <laughs> this weekend, uh, it is infuriating to have in your deck on Arena oh because every time it's in play, even if it's your only land that's untapped. It just really wants you to try to activate it for X equals zero, despite the card saying X can't be zero.
0: I definitely thought of cutting this card for this example. I was like, you know what? I I came so close so many times. (laughs) Is this stupid Goblin Maker actually that much worse as, like, the second Manland? Because I really want to cut this.
2: But I think there's a lot of value in having your second untapped green source, especially if you're playing the the Werewolf deck. I think that having the untapped green source is really important for Werewolf Pack Leader, um... And if you have a draw where you had, you know, both of your uh both of your creature lands and it's den and uh and lair, then you're gonna run in these awkward positions where like you wanna play out these untapped lands and play your uh like pack leader on two, but you can't. Um So I think that if you're if you're playing a slower deck, you probably don't need to play like two Lair. but if you have Jesper Sentinel in your deck, or you're playing the double green card, you probably just need to play layers, even though they're about the same. I've activated layer a lot more than Mason. I've even had games where I've activated, the like I've had two layers in play and activated them both in scent.
0: So... Yeah, I think uh, Mason clearly did not play enough of the Naya... Uh, the, the the Naya... Uh, what's the the human... Winota? Uh, Winota deck, yeah, if you've never activated a layer.
1: Oh, yeah, I didn't play Standard last time. Oh, last
0: one, sure,
2: I would so activate... So.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I'm an activating
2: lair in uh, in Pioneer,
1: baby. <laughs> Not that's a where format. it's at. So anyways, we... spe- speaking of creature lands, all the creature lands are really good right now. Like, I think that's something we should talk about before moving on to the next decks.
0: Well, actually, uh, the next deck is the perfect chance to talk about it. Well, there's no deck
1: that plays this card coming up that I want to talk about, so I'm just going to do it now. The black lair is quite good the Hive of the Tyrant, like, I I looked at one of the Red, Black, mid range decks, and to be fair, it might not have been the one that won the challenge. It was just the top one on Goldfish when I looked. It didn't have the Hive. The Hive is so important. Not only is it, like, menacing, so a 3-3 menace will kill a random 7 if your opponent plays it, and then minuses, and that's the only creature you'll be able to keep the board clear. That's so huge. But even more importantly, Memory Deluge and Storm of the Festival are really impactful cards in the format right now, and just being able to exile those is so, so important. And so I, I think all the creature lands from AFR are infinitely better than I thought they were. I think every deck that could play them, you should play one of in your deck. And the black one is very, very good, and people should play it. Um, yeah. But we can move on to mono green, which no, does take
0: great I, examples. I actually there. think that this is the perfect opportunity for me to bring up my question for you, too. Because one, one of the things that happened this, if, you, if you're if you a patron, you, you might have already seen this. But one of the decks that got points is, in fact, Mono White, which is the deck that I have played a lot of. This mono-white deck is playing four Faithless Havens and four Cave of the Frost Dragon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the mono-green decks that are doing the best are also playing four Lair of the Hydra and four uh, um, Faithless, Haven? Faith, Faithless Havens. And here's the thing. Here's, here's my problem. The mono-green deck also plays four Mammoths. I already... I, and and by the way, the 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 mono white decks are typically uh, the mono white deck is also playing the deal damage equal to your creatures land uh, flip card. Zamara uh, Takedown. Yeah, thank you. Uh, which is also in the list that I posted in our in our Discord. But I already have had some trouble activating my Faithless Havens with just two takedowns in my deck, and then I played the mono green deck a ton today, and my Faithless Havens were having trouble kicking off. And I, my question for you guys is like. Is there not a compromise to playing eight man lands? Like, can we can we slow down on the number of man lands we're playing? Mason's like, no, no I, play them all.
1: No, I, I no, seriously. I, I think for the green deck, you not only does your deck want to curve out, so you want to have these extra lands, you want to have mana sinks mm-hmm. outside of Ranger's class. Because while Ranger's class is very good, uh, it's getting a little bit of splash hate from things that are like the non-creature it's answers true. for cherry are answering it. And so they aren't sticking around quite as often as i found in the past with playing with and against them uh and i think that you want to be able to activate your creature lands and i think you want to be able to shove them into people a lot and i think for the green deck specifically as well with the mammoth you want to be land dropping every turn because five five is bigger than everything in this format on a one-to-one basis outside of a and seven token but obviously with the way and seven works if they're playing an on five you can offer the trade and then the seven's kind of exposed and if they accelerated it, it actually will be a chump block, which yeah. normally doesn't matter. Typically with Goldspan Dragon and Moonvale region in the format, you're fine to trade your Rin token for one of those cards. But having a chump block on Mammoth uh, is really, really bad in my opinion. And I feel okay. the same way for white, where I feel like the two white decks I've seen are like the one you posted in the kind of mage trap flow to the ground one. And that one, I think, really is prone to flooding out uh, just because You know typically prowess decks have a problem with that sort of thing especially when they don't have the blue cantrips i think having all the creature lands you just always want to have a chance to activate one and sometimes it does nambo and that really really sucks but i think casting your spells consistently i think is more important and having the access to just always do one is really good maybe cut one will be end up where i think but my gut says into the format six or seven minimum
0: in the format yeah my my inclination is that i i'm playing too many man lands and i i want to go down to six uh, uh in some way but the other thing is is like what you just said about kind of the mono green deck rings rings completely true to me like i need things to do with my mana Especially because, like, I think the list that took third in that Hooglandia thing, the one that's on my Arena account that I've been playing with, I think it's playing four Red and six. Like, I think it's, or Red and seven. See, I did it too, Abe. Uh, like, just straight up is like, no, we're like, we are going to win by, like, creating these tokens with Chariot and just going off. Um, it, It's it's interesting. I don't know, Abe, do you have thoughts I, on the... So, so I have a, a,
2: a few thoughts on this, which is that, like... Um, one is that I, I kind of think about it, um, backwards, right? Like if I am not having trouble casting all of my spells, then I don't really see a need to start cutting my creature lands because, uh, even if I'm not getting utility out of them, like unless I'm coming into play tapped or not producing a colored mana, like with my face saving is important, then actually my mana base is still functioning fine. And I'm maximizing the amount of times I'm going to like draw the card and use it. So even if it's like a little awkward um, to like have a faceless Haven and not be able to activate it when I want to, um, you know, if it's because of the fact that I have a layer of the Hydra, then I can just activate my layer of the Hydra. Yeah, um, this
0: is actually a great point that I had not thought of.
2: Yeah, the the other thing is that uh, like, especially in the mono green deck with Renin Seven, you want to have the maximum amount of lands that actually do something to the game because a lot of the time the play pattern is. You're going to play it minus, and then you're going to have to plus it, and then probably plus it again if the game's going long or make another token. And on that plus, you want to make sure that you're finding more than just more basics, because you don't really care about drawing more basics. I've had this come up like a lot of times where I wish I had, like I don't know, a canopy land, or so, just any way to turn a land into a material. Like if I could play like a Bant deck with the uh, the new like Blue-White Faithless looting for Ren and Seven, that's like a pretty promising engine to me if the rest of it's there. Uh, if, if I need to play fair in that way, just because there's not a lot to do with lands other than make your run bigger or maybe trigger, like, a Felidar retreat if you're playing the green-white landfall deck. So um, it is definitely, like, your snow sources aren't there. If you're having trouble with your Blizzard brawls and stuff, like, that's another story. But I think that, especially because Mammoth, I think in the mono-green deck, is more of a creature that lets you keep more sevens because you're going to be able to play... You're just, like, going to have more lands in your openers. Um... And like it's more about making sure you have a creature land than
0: yeah necessarily I, turn on the right one. I actually think that for what it's worth, uh, at least in my experience, Blizzard Brawl is pretty often killing a mana dork with whether it's your like your your three three or whatever than it is anything else. Um, yeah. So I actually have a uh, Mason. You mentioned you mentioned um, the the Bread black deck, which is the next deck on our list. I'm actually curious, What mainlands are they playing? Because I don't remember uh, what it was off the top of my head.
1: The creature land that I saw them, they had two Den of the Bugbear, and I think their idea was that like their deck trades resource. which, if you haven't seen this deck, by the way, it's basically like red and black good cards. The black ones being predominantly removal spells, and the red ones being things you might expect like Moonvale uh Storm. I keep want to say Stormburst Dragon, Thunderbreak Regent, uh, Goldspan Dragon, the best dragon of course, All hail, uh, and you know that that sort of stuff. And your game plan is really just kind of like, hey, a lot of these Azuki Chariot decks and a lot of these Ren and Seven decks really lean on that engine to be the thing that pushes them over the line. I'm gonna tempo them out. I'm gonna kill it. I'm gonna play my own thing, win the game, work from there. I uh, think and the I winning
2: f- deck played two of each.
1: Oh, did it? Okay, so yeah. I saw one on Goldfish, but I wasn't sure which one uh, it was. But it's cl- I'm g- probably why they won. They had you know a bunch of creature yeah. lands, but uh, the Hive Mind's also so important. But yeah, the I, I saw one that had two Den the Bugbear, and that was it. Uh, I think the logic is that you want to like trade resources, you're going to flood out, and then that one killed the quickest. Um, But I'm glad to hear the winner did play two and two. That makes a lot of sense to me. I I think that deck really has the problem that classic mid-range decks have, which is the top of the deck's a problem. And when those decks typically have issues in formats, it's because also things like have ways to generate extra value, and things like Storm the Festival, which we've alluded to a bunch and will soon be talking about, um, maximize that problem, and so does Memory Deluge. Which I think is in the blue red dragon decks a fair bit, so we'll talk yeah. about that soon as well. But those cards are great ways to actually overpower the mid range decks. And I often find myself like, if my opponent flashes back a memory deluge, if I'm not overwhelmingly ahead on board, uh, it's a real problem. Now, memory deluge is a lot of mana and it doesn't matter yeah, if, if they're hard
2: casting dig through time, you know, <laughs> yeah, they probably are
1: winning, yeah. But but you know, I, I think the format's super board centric right now, too, for what it's worth. So, I like the red black deck only having one real finish and seemed to only be played by like a couple people, uh, I think is a pretty good sign in my opinion, at least for the early weeks here, I can easily see this deck getting kind of outscaled as the format goes on. But for right now, I think it interacts pretty well in the points you need to be And You know, it's like a a strong deck.
0: Yeah. I, I actually think that, you know, my, my thoughts on the red black deck, uh, were just that infernal grasp is really good in an aggressive deck. So like pushing, just being able to kill anything while be like being the beat down like you're pulling ahead on tempo it, the the aggro decks are the best when they are playing as the tempo deck like when they are playing against other creature decks and they just for some reason get to kill their creatures and I think that the red black deck is doing that in this format
1: mm-hmm. yeah and so I'm yeah I agree I think uh, that's really strong I think Infernal Grasp does have a pretty heavy cost, and i think that card's gonna stay in the low but playable numbers that we see here like with two i I think it's really hard to load up on that kind of thing um but you know but that
0: that shock one of the the key points we want to talk about is like the cards that have impressed us the most that Mm -hmm. shock is like i don't know why i underestimated scry one so much but like Mm -hmm. that that card just being able to kill one being able to kill whether it's Sentinel or Lotus Cobra or, uh, is it the, the Dwarf? Floridgrin. Oh, Floridgrin. Yeah, that one too. Like, like all of those mana guys, like just being able to kill those and then also having the ability to, you know, if you top deck it, just like go face and then, you know, put a land on the bottom. Like that, that card, uh, huge tempo game. Um, red, red black definitely gets the benefit of like kind of playing the tempo game that, I don't know. I, I played against like a lot of blue-black Delver on Arena, and this deck seems to be doing a lot of that stuff a little bit better.
1: Yeah, the other colors trying to do this stuff I've found to not be hyper impressive personally, um, but this one has been pretty good. And I think I think things like having Emberstorm Predator, which is like a pretty good threat that starts taking over the game and controlling the air, and also taking care of those pesky cards like Hive does as well, that is super important. And I think just also your cards are pound for pound a little stronger. I, I I have played against a lot of Delver in the last five days. My opponents have like all flipped their Delver on two and like every time and it's just like not a problem. Yeah, <laughs>
0: just, I like, yeah, I have also played against a lot of flip delvers and I'm like, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna take twelve from this, but I think I'm gonna win. Yeah. Like <laughs> easily. <laughs> I
1: think it's
2: also it's also hard to to understate how much I think bloodthirsty adversary like really makes this archetype able to tick in that mm-hmm. like um the the deck is really just a pile of like the good efficient removal and then ways to capitalize on on generating an opening or answering you know the opponent's threats a lot of like snowballing creatures with the day night stuff uh like graveyard Tra- trespasser and um like reckless storm seeker especially with like immerstrom predator like you were saying mason um like the versatility of a card like valky um but the ability to be like, okay, well, I'm going to be able to kill your kill your setup creatures, your mana dorks, um, keep you from curving into the Chariot, maybe keep the Chariot from activating or have an answer to the Chariot specifically. And then, uh, like, right when you're trying to stabilize, you know, maybe get back that Blood to use Thirst for your Ren token or uh, or Infernal Grasp, the, the creature in the way. Uh, it really does a good job being an aggressively slanted mid-range deck. Um, and I think that a lot of that comes single-handedly from that card. Uh, being something that scales so well and uh, and has such an impact,
0: it it's kind of funny it. Uh, it doesn't have like the, the Jun two for one uh, aspect, but like it reminds me of like those games where you would just attack with Putrid Leech, and kill their stuff. Like that is what this yeah. deck looks like to me.
2: Yeah, it's, it's the it's the, I don't know, like all my all my cards are Tarmogoyf. Yeah, like, I've got Tarmogoyf and
0: all removal. Yeah, those like, creatures, you know. Yeah. Like, Yep. deck's good. Can I say something about the next deck? Sure. So the, ne- the next deck on the list was Dragons. Um, and I have a hot take. I believe that this deck is pretty close to just being the best deck in the format. The problem is is that it's a, a super under pressure. And I think that two colors is wrong. I think that while we want to be like this two-color Dragons deck, I think it's likely that that is incorrect I, th- I think that for a few reasons. One, I think two-color mana is still kind of rough, just like it was in the last format. And I think two, like, if we look at like what started to do well in the Mythic ladder, which is usually really far ahead of both Moto and like paper events, I think Moto is changing that. I think Moto is catching up pretty quick. Where like the the Sunday challenge is like basically where you want to get your info, but this deck also did better in the Sunday challenge than it did in the Saturday challenge by a substantial margin, which means people were already adjusting. And I, I think that – I don't know if it's green. I don't know if it's black. I doubt it's white. But I do think that, like, just the card uh, epiphany and the dragon package, like, it, it does suck that you're 2-drop, right? The 0-4. The, the, like, the egg. Yeah, the egg. Like, that card – I still think it's integral in this, uh, that's the wrong word or anyway, I think it's still important in this format, but I'm curious what you guys think of like just stopping the BS and like maybe adding black for like duress out of the board, black removal in the main deck. I know that people were doing that for cyborg cards earlier in the week uh, as well as I don't, what was the, do you guys know what the card was they were doing? They had one black card in the main, I don't remember what it was, but it was like some card I'd never heard of on the arena ladder. That's a really good description. (laughs) (laughs) That's a terrible description. (laughs) You guys are super connected to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, I uh, I do not know the black card you were talking about. I, I think the idea of maybe being a three color dragon deck is pretty interesting. I have been fairly unimpressed so far with the Dragon's deck with cognitive of that it needs to base itself kind of around what other people are doing yes uh and it needs to have its threats lineup and stuff like that so
0: i want to add a caveat also for what it's worth mason that i think that snow is wrong you should not be playing snowlands in this deck interesting i i actually think that frost uh is it frostbite the the red the one yeah i actually think that card's bad like i actually do not think you should play that in this format
1: interesting okay yeah the 16th place deck from the sunday challenge did not play um the snow cards at all um and that that could end up being right It, it really depends on the threats i think in the format and like once again where your answers are and how they're lining up i think that's so integral forget decks like this like you're you need to be efficient on mana you need to be like fighting the right battles and it's so hard to do that on the first week. You know, even with stuff like, hey, Gruul's the let Assess. You know, we saw people bring black-white control to this tournament. We saw people, you know, just kind of doing like mono-black, like just off-the-wall stuff. And if your cards don't line up correctly, it's going to be a big problem. And so having a card like a bunch of main deck Cinderclasms makes a lot of sense to me compared to a card like Frostbite because that will answer half of the Nesika's Chariot, you know, oh, wowee. And it does answer those go-wide decks, which you already have a kind of a problem against. And so... I- I think that, you know, there's I could believe that. And I definitely think that is a realistic place to go. Um I am hesitant still about these decks, but I am open to them. I'm just kind of like don't really want to place them like this so early in the format, especially because I think this deck is really bad against Ren Seven. And maybe adding that third color is the trick, but I was, think it was Abe, but maybe was, I was talking to somebody and I was like, oh, i plan played to play Goldspan Dragon. My my plan for this is draw Renin-7. And I have like a 5-5. Five, five, and I get two for one a fair bit, you know. Like if they attack, I often I know it's going to, like my, my Renin-7 token is going to die. But honestly, that's not a huge problem. These decks are pretty threat-light. And it's pretty hard for them to constantly run threats and answer your stuff if you're playing a proactive deck. And so, I don't know. I, I'm lowish on them right now, but I'm open to them. I just don't know where I'm supposed to go to get the answer. Maybe it's green, I don't know, like a Team Dragon's. I kind of, uh, I tend to look at it, uh, like, I, and usually the format
2: as a whole, I try to look at it from the mana upwards, because I think that that's like, you know, you, you don't want to end up playing a deck that's like, okay, well, theoretically all these spells could work, but then your mana is just like non-functional. Um, but I do think that the Grixis, like, in a perfect world, playing Grixis Could do something. I think that Goldspan Dragon, like you said, Mason, we agreed on that when we talked earlier in the week that, like, Goldspan Dragon has a Ren problem, um, and if you're not backing it up with answers to a Ren token, like, some amount of, like, Infernal Grasp is a perfect kind of card, um, to be able to get the Goldspan Dragons in, then the House of Cards really starts falling, you know, you can't uh, can't reliably cast Epiphany, because you're not going to have the mana for it, uh, and you don't really, like, start snowballing ever because you're not able to attack with the goldspan dragons and with so with ren being one of the most played cards and being so efficient it doesn't matter how good your prismari commands are at answering Essica's chariot and uh, and keeping the board clear it just um, it's just too much to ask but i think that you know either by adding a third color or maybe by giving the format some time to to cool down and settle um i've seen some people singing the praises of um fading hope the new unsummon that card was, uh,
1: was really impressive for
2: because killing a token and scrying one for one mana is huge and the fact that it also slows down uh the development of a lot of the decks that are playing all these mana dorks by unsummoning them is uh is is really good as well It like plays maybe not as well as, as shock but um so so I also think that going away from snow is is totally reasonable because, as we said before, like if if the number is four, it doesn't matter that you can deal three, right? Like if if no one's playing things that you have to bolt, like with the exception of um,
0: the the two three, I guess
2: there's yeah, there's there's a two three and there's bribery tracker, like a pair of three toughest creatures that are good on on three mana, but you can play dragons fire for those. Right. Um, there's no reason to have to play this like efficient exchange of frostbite because there's not. A oh, super low to the ground aggro deck, except for maybe Mono White. But even Mono White, their most important cards aren't the Savannah Lions. It's the supporting cast around them, like Luminarch, uh, Aspirin,
0: or... So, um... so for what it's worth, I do actually think that the fact that Grixis doesn't get the black-red flip land is actually awkward for its mana. Because it, it because your, your lands are blue-black and blue-red instead of red-black and black-red... You actually do lose out on like probably the way you want this deck to work, which is blue, red, splashing black.
2: Well, you have uh, blue, black, and
0: blue, black, red, and red, black. Re- right? No, so you can no, no, still no, be. You do not have red, black. You have blue, black, and no, you do. You have red, black. Get the red, black the pathway. Yeah, you don't. You
2: don't have. You you have the uh, the slow lands for blue, black, and uh, there, and red, there's... black. You don't have the the hand lands. The handlands are all enemy so colored. I, I, and then I'm the...
0: currently looking at the the list, and according to this, you have blue black pathway, red red blue pathway. There is no red black red bl- red black pathway on this list. There are there are ten pathways for every color. There's combo. blight
2: step pathway, and it, it definitely exists. Do they yeah. do
0: all of the color combos just have pathways now? Then yeah, they, they we have, don't have... here.
2: Yeah. Yeah, all the color combos don't have these slow lands, but everything has a pathway. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, in
0: that lands... case, in that case, I just think there's not a reason to play. I-, I I like what you said about going the mana up for what it's worth, and it makes me want to like treasure. Already leads me to want to play more colors than just blue red. Like I get. Yeah, that I think it's...
2: the only thing really tying the deck to blue red was the snow aspect, right? Like
0: right between
2: having um having
0: frostbite haven.
2: Yeah, Frostbite and Haven to capitalize on your epiphanies. Those felt like the only, like, real reasons. So you know, if you're willing to abandon those,
0: then yeah. you can turn the explorer. I colleges. also think cutting the five-five dragon with Ward Three was like a pretty huge mistake that I saw this weekend. As like a five-five dragon actually seems huge in this format. Uh, it's smaller than a red token's the problem though. Right, but if you're adding black and you can just kill a red token, sure, then sure, I, that might fair. not matter. Anyway, that was yeah. my thoughts on uh, the deck.
1: You also get the Dragon Land, which we didn't mention. Some girl players are playing that as well, where you like reveal a dragon and you choose a color and it captures that color. So you could do that. Like, uh, if, you, if you had to play more dragons. I,
0: I, I actually saw that. that out of the Grixis decks, for what it's worth.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah that might, that one of those or two of those might be important to play. Um, but yeah, you know, I think we talked about this deck a pretty good amount, and we are kind of getting long in the tooth here. Let's talk about the Storm the Festival decks, because I think this is kind of the last color of the format. Um, if you don't know Storm of the Festivals three GGG, you look at the top five cards of your deck, put a two permanence with C or sorry, mana value five or less into play. Uh and decks have just been kind of built around this card a bunch. Uh the one that's been the most popular so far has been Green White. Um
0: they, it ma- look- Mason, you actually this is actually the deck you were talking about earlier in the show, right?
1: Yes, yeah. This, this is the the kind of the deck that tries to go a little bit over the top of all these other mid-range decks, kind of outgrind people, that sort of thing. And uh, I, I've built one of these with Ban, which I'll talk about here in a second. I've seen green-black builds pop up today. But basically, this deck, the green-white one, tries to grab Felidar's Retreat and then maximize on these land drops. Since your Storm of the Festival also has flashback for 10, so you have something to work towards later, you're now using Felidar Retreat, so it's like, hey, this is a really strong thing to grab. Benefit me from hitting these land drops. So it also makes my Storm of the festivals so if I hit double land, not be blank. And there's some really strong synergy with some other cards. Things like Scoot Swarm are actually kind of a problem sometimes, especially when combined with the Felidar Retreat. Mm-hmm. You know, you start going really wide and then you start making them quite big and you just kind of shove once and they die. Uh, And that is actually pretty easy to do. Uh, So Storm the Festival has just kind of been super impressive. Uh, We saw Gottlieb kind of put one on Twitter today that was pretty interesting. It's like a green-black version that tries to, you know, use cards like Binding of the Old Gods as a good thing to hit off Storm the Festival. So now you have Removal as part of that package. Um, And then you also get things like the Meat Hook Massacre which are a great way to kind of swing matchups even though he wasn't playing that I think that's a little incorrect uh and then lolith the spider queen um is another big thing to hit off this and so the the real thing that happens with storm the festival though is it, it finds your chariots and your wrens you know I mentioned a lot of outlying factors or whatever but the the common through line is it's another wren and chariot deck but it's the biggest wren and chariot deck and it finds them more than anyone else and really like gums the battlefield up and wins and then I personally have been playing a bant version of this, which basically is bant so that you can play the blue-green Dork that taps for one man of any color, and then also taps for two for spell flashback, allowing you to storm the festival more. And then you also have Teferi, which Teferi, along with your Mana Dork deck, actually is super helpful because it lets you deploy your Rin and Sevens a little bit earlier, lets you double spell, get the chariots down, get the storm of the festivals going earlier. And having a way to find the cards you're looking for in these sort of decks that can flood out, I think is really strong. And in Post-Forge, you get access to things like Mischief's Hermit, you can play Negates or Strokes as well. So, I think the Storm of the Festival is kind of the thing that's really going to see a lot of light this week. I expect you're going to see a lot of content creators look into that and in the Meat Hook Massacre as the two big cards. And maybe we'll spend a little bit of time talking about that in a second. But, what do y'all think about Storm of the Festival? Because this deck and this archetype, I think, is really exciting and really strong.
0: Yeah, both of the finishes – so we had – this was an honorable mention coming in with four points, and both of those came from Sunday, which means that, you know – and it was the same 75, I'm pretty sure, from, like, teammates of the uh, the Andy Awkward uh, Discord or – I don't actually know who's in charge of that Discord, but um, we I, – I think, I think a couple things. One, I think that the fact that this card says permanence is kind of nuts. And I don't think that we covered that very well during our pick two set review.
1: That's all I said, baby. All right, that's what I was about. You just didn't listen
0: to me. That's fair. I, I, <laughs> hey man, buddy. I listened, Mason.
1: Thanks, Abe.
0: My here's being here's Abe, the thing, over. man. I got they I got one canceled. of my here's here's the thing. I got one of my own cards wrong on that set review, but it still did. saw play this weekend. So I'm I'm you know, Uh n- clock, baby. <laughs> But straight up, I, I actually think that like. I think of two things. One, I think that, you know, it, its ability with Ren and Six is just out of this world. And I'm really glad you mentioned Felidar Retreat because it has been one of the cards that has been the most imp- one of the most impressive cards for me in this format that people still aren't playing. Like, uh, the fact that whether it's, you know, Naya with the the other stuff or whether it's just Lotus Cobra Dex playing this card, like, I, I do actually think that... Felidar retreat plus this card specifically probably has a package somewhere. It it could be a package with Binding of the Old Gods. It could be a package with whatever. It it, it doesn't actually matter. The truth is is that like the the actual fact that Lo- this gets Lotus Cobra and Binding of the Old Gods or Lotus Cobra and Felidar retreat or you know, it it's I I think that there's something here that is an unexplored aspect of the format and then just fi- finding out how you can make Combine that six mana in the right number of cards to attack the rest of the format. It's going to be really important.
1: Yeah, I, I think something like an Abzan build should really be looked into. But Abe, you were going to say something there. Uh,
2: yeah. So I think it's really funny that you brought up the uh, the Brian Gottlieb deck because uh, <laughs> I actually played a Storm the Festival uh, Meat Hooks. Oh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to out you. You, you know, yeah, I didn't want to deck in the challenge um, <laughs> on Sunday myself. I wound up i think i probably played too few lands i, th- I think i should have like been more decisive on the, the threats i was playing and the numbers and stuff maybe not played all four storm the festivals um things like that but i think that um and kind of like in the way the direction i think the format's going i watched uh you know head of team lotus block Zan-Siet, uh play a ton of green white landfall uh storm festival i think that deck is like Normally, I like to be pretty critical of Xan. I think there's some things that he could change, um, but uh, his head's always in a really good place uh, when when it comes to the philosophy behind the way he's building his decks and all his cards have purpose. And looking at that list and watching him play it for a while uh, over the weekend, um, it looked really, really impressive. It was definitely like... As as the format starts to kind of revolve around Eska's Cherry for a bit, if you think about the things that that means, if it's about putting these big tokens in play, what are things that you're going to want to do? You're going to want to make the big tokens, and you want to make them bigger, and so Felidar Retreat is a perfect way to do that. Um, Yasharn is well-statted for the format, um, turns off all the treasure stuff as well. Um, you have, uh, like, a ton of lands and virtual, like, you can play a ton of flip lands and, uh, and creature lands so there's no reason you can't keep triggering your Felidar Retreat. And you can really just outgrind just about anything with the Storm Festival deck it looks like, um, which is why I think Meat Hook Massacre is also a really well-positioned card, because if the format's all about getting all these 2 into play and making them really big, then, um, you know, you, you have like, the sweepers now are naturally, you know, things are falling into place to want to play a card like this. And Meat Hook Massacre has a really, really unique Capability of in your own deck that's making like a bunch of creatures and a board stall if you wrath the board You just win because if you have a bunch of 2 and they have a bunch of 2 They're losing life for all your 2 let alone the fact you're gaining all the life for theirs and it's just both those both storm and fell retreat together I think are really well positioned, but I think also meat hook massacre as a way to combat the format and playing well with um, with the patterns of making a bunch of tokens is is just the stuff that's left to be explored right now.
1: Yeah, I, I think Meat Hook Massacre. Just before we round things out here on the Storm the Festival, the fact that it's a Wrath that is so good against like the kind of go wide decks and gains you life back, I think was kind of underplayed and not really respected enough until it kind of saw play. And the fact that like if your deck with creatures can kind of drain them out, I think that is really big. I think we talked about the Scoot Swarm as a, like a part of this deck that kind of goes wide and eventually you amp them up. With the Meat Hook Massacre, it's very easy to just kind of nug your opponent, like fireball them, you know? And so uh, I, I think that's pretty important. And I think just the random sort the festival stuff here, it's very impressive. And it does a very good job of just pulling you way ahead. And having good permanence to hit, I think, is the big thing. So Felidar Retreats, Teferis, Ren and Sixes, Ren Seven, sorry, uh, uh even, even hitting a Meat Hook Massacre, while it won't, trigger or do much there getting that sort of passive life game potentially I think is actually kind of super important finding binding the looking for permanence uh skyclive apparition is one that I've played in my Fest Storm the festivals deck and that's been really powerful just having this permanence that you can more easily find in a wide array of things I think is really good and I think also finding more things along that line will be kind of the the trick to breaking storm the festival wide open and that's why I think things like blue are so important like Having deranged torment as a counter spell you can find with your storm of the festival or work with your deck I think is super good and that card also just works really well at making sure your six or ten mana spell resolves so uh, you know which is kind of important if you're going to invest that much mana in it but yeah I think, I think
2: I think also like my last thing about felder retreat specifically is that in the storm decks any game where you're able to cast felder retreat before you cast storm immediately makes it so you're so much less likely to whiff on storm right because that's the big fear of playing a card like that is that you cast it and there's no heat in the top five cards in your library. You time walked yourself on turn six. You didn't really accomplish anything. And, like, sure, you got the mana ahead and you can, like, flash back. But when you have, you know, landfall things or, um, like, like, making sure that the floor on the card is higher and also that the card is more flexible, I think, are, like, the things you should be looking to do in deck building. Uh, mm-hmm. like you were saying with um, Binding the Old Gods. It's a really good example of, like, You know, sometimes you need to be able to answer something and put a thing into play. And that's like one of the only ways to do it. So, uh,
1: yeah, just wanted to say that. No, I I agree 100%. I think that kind of does it when it comes to looking at all the big pillars. Before we kind of go here, you know, what is kind of calling to you? What would you be kind of look at and wanting to explore going into the next week? You know, we're going to spend some more time talking about standard these next couple of weeks here. I'm kind of curious where everyone's heads at before we wrap things up here. So, Spencer, I'll start with you. Are, you. are you still wanting to look at dragons? I know you mentioned that there a minute ago. Are you still wanting to explore like a three colors dragon deck?
0: Yeah. So, this is a good question. I am in. I'm, I'm being pulled in a lot of directions in standard. Uh, I I do think that mono green solves a lot of the problems of gruel, but I actually don't think it would be that hard to splash in mono-green, uh, other than the fact that you might lose out on Faithless Haven for doing that. So that, I mean, I'm always going to try and do green decks first. The other thing that I've been thinking about uh, is the red-green... So there are two cards. I, I have not had the time because of family issues, but there are two cards I'm thinking about. There is a red-green six-drop Uh, lead... Uh, what is it called? The... What is it called when it has all those modes, those enchantments? The Saga? Yeah, there's a red... Is Games... it Waking the Trolls? Yes. So, like... so I almost lost to <laughs> Awakening the Trolls today on ladder. So Gold. So, straight up, straight up. I've actually been thinking about this a lot. That I think there might be, like, a deck that plays the, enchant- the, the ramp spell that we talked about. Mason's losing. He's like, this is the most Spencer thing I ever I, said. Mason, it's all
1: I, fun and games until your opponent ramps into stone rain. I'm just saying, you just, you know, like you attack your weaker red and 7 token to theirs. You go oops on Arena. They go oops back. They block, and then you blow their land up, and it dies in state-based actions. That happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't actually that. So, they fucked
2: a 4-4 four, four into, into my 5-5, five, five, and I was like, all right, block.
0: So so straight up, I actually saw that card. I think it was for the first time while I was, like, deck building for this new set. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This seems super busted against other Renin Sevens. Like, this seems actually insane. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of standard left to be explored, and we'll get into that when we get into our Patreon question. But, like, for me, I'm thinking of three things. Uh, green-based aggro decks, uh, mono-white aggro decks, and yeah that ramp deck that i'm thinking about <laughs> I, I like Ava, that you, i'm glad we can make mason laugh like a freaking <laughs> lunatic on the podcast hey
1: but what about you buddy oh, i asked you first come on man. oh I, I didn't hear you sorry uh i would play i, I want to explore the storm of the festival decks more i think mid-range storm of the festival decks are really strong i want to play more of Gottlieb's green black deck get a feel for it. I think there's a lot to be done there. I think Abzan's another place to explore along those lines. And I want to start exploring into four colors and just kind of being like Storm of the Festival is my way to get a lot of this stuff out in combination with the Creeper, the blue green one. Uh but I think I think Bant's legitimately really, really strong. I, I think you don't have the super explosive games that the green white in like the end games for the green white does, but you're still bigger than the Gruul decks. And you have a lot better options to answer things like Chariot. And you accelerate way harder than those decks do. And more consistently because of your 8 drops. Your 8 2 drop ones. So I think that's something to really look into. And I think it's being honestly criminally underplayed. I, I I get that it's early in the format. And people are having a lot of bruise and stuff. But I'm having a really hard time losing with like. My, all my efficient good cards that I'm cheating out. And yeah. It's, it's kind of weird that no one's playing it. But whatever.
2: Uh, Personally I've uh kind of just been focusing on looking at the format through the lens of um you know the, the play patterns that cherry's bringing up i've talked about those a lot um a card that really impressed me when i played the the green black deck that i chose playing the challenge was uh Serilth. i've seen just about no one playing it and a lot of decks don't really that it's like really good against especially the green white decks don't have very solid answers to it um, and you know if your opponent is on a draw with Escus chariot and you can even get one counter on your sarilf you know they don't they're not able to nut draw you anymore they can't hit, go renin seven make a token crew esk's chariot attack because where's that going to get them they're gonna like lose their entire board to the Serelf. the sarilf's still gonna be around and uh, it plays particularly well with like the meat Hook Maskers and everything being a threat stays around so that's pretty exciting but uh It was kind of not enough. I was thinking about the red-black decks, and what's the name of that legend? Um, Killane. Killane as a way to not only ensure that you can cast uh, Serulph, even though it's kind of a little tight on the mana to cast a green 3-drop very consistently, um, but using Killane to ensure that you can have a counter on the Serulph immediately, I think is really huge. It also makes it a 4-toughness creature, which means it's dodging a lot of the removal pretty quickly a five too so i'm thinking about some innkeeper uh collane strategies just just ways to you know punish the the cards that people are, are playing at,
1: at the top of the ladder and really work my way up for sure well that's going to do it for our main topic this week we mentioned it earlier if you ever want to support the show you can go to patreon.com ccmtg one of the perks being a patron. You get to ask questions on the show, like this one from Snap Bolt All. We have, how long do you all think it will take for the standard format to be solved? This is an, a super interesting question because normally, before I call on you here, Spencer, this format would be the longest one. Our fall format is normally four to five months, but we have 60 days at the, the maximum. So Spencer, i throw it to you. What do you think the answer, what is your answer to this question?
0: I have a lot of thoughts on this question. First of all, shout out to Colton. He's the former co-host of Common Knowledge, a podcast on the Teacher Network. Much love, buddy. Um, I'm sad you beat my wife in fantasy football this week. Uh, but I I do... I have a problem with this question. I don't like the assumption that the formats get solved fast. I, I think that that is a bad way to look at Magic. Um, and when, when... Before Mason ever got here, there was this... Uh, this old phrase that I might not be actually be able to say on the show that was like, I'm just going to say it anyway. We'll we'll uh, fix the YouTube ratings later. But it was like, stop bitching, start brewing. Um, was like a pretty common expression in Magic for a long time. And while I I don't think this format's close to getting solved. Like I, I think that I think that the problem that we have ran into in the last two years in Magic was almost entirely around the Throne of Eldraine. And so because of that, it got solved really quickly because you just threw the next best throne cards in your deck. And right now, that, that is not the case. Like, we, like the one of the best cards, I think, in Standard got four points total in these power rankings. Uh, it just goes to show that, like, there is so much going on right now. Um, and that's without blue-black even being playable, uh, which I think is a huge thing that was missing from our discussion today. Because if you're playing on Arena, you've probably played against the blue-black control decks. you played against the blue-black Delver decks. And that was not discussed today because like, our, our power rankings were based off of MTGO. I, I think we're pretty far away uh, from this format being solved. And I also think that we shouldn't be asking ourselves how fast it will be solved. And instead be asking ourselves, what's the next step? And I know Colton. I know that he'll be okay with my answer here. But I, I think that like do you want it to be solved like how fast do you want <laughs> like i i i think that that's that's uh I, I think we're pretty far away i actually don't know if we're gonna get it solved in the 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 two months that we have i Mason, was it you who texted me that we all that the next set came out so quick somebody texted me this and i was like that's unreal like i cannot believe this
1: I, I've been posting it everywhere on social media yeah. because it gives it gives people existential dread, and then they was, react to my actually, content. Whoever and,
0: yeah. t- it must have been you because like when somebody said that to me, I was like, "That's that's not right." Like there's no way that's true. <laughs> Four wow. weeks till preview season starts. Yeah, it was you. It was you. <laughs> uh, Four weeks baby. Act- new it, actually, it actually might have been in our group chat for this podcast. it was on the podcast. Oh man, it Mason might been. has
2: been telling me this since before any preview started for
0: this
1: set that is out now.
0: Why are you trying <laughs> to? Why are you trying to make me feel like time doesn't exist? I don't want that.
1: It's so funny. Uh, it comes for us all. Uh, Abe, before I get my answer to the question, what do you think?
2: Uh, I think that I would be really surprised if um, there weren't like things didn't shake out to maybe three or four top like you know archetypes and top decks by the time the Invitational comes around uh, at the end of next month. I, I think that there's not going to be some consensus on oh well, this you is mean, just the best deck. Or, do you mean
0: after the Invitational?
2: uh no i mean like by the invitational i think i'd be surprised if things hadn't if if there wasn't a clear set of like yep these are the archetypes and then there's a bunch of different you know differing opinions on the builds and stuff i think that's around where we'll be uh and then i think that the invitational is what like the last it's 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 halloween yeah yeah so So it's why it's why i didn't go (laughs) yeah yeah so i think that by then um there's not gonna be any like huge new developments i think all the format's small enough and the pillars are already feeling so apparent that um, in that time, especially people really testing for it and by the time after the Invitational, it'll probably be clear like what the uh, the definitive pillars are and, and how they fit together. There's probably still going to be a ton of room to uh, you know customize those decks and figure out what it is that you want to be doing with them. Uh, there's a lot of different packages you can choose from in the way you're building your decks even right now. I've seen like you know, the green-white landfall deck, for example, I think they're going through, like, there's four or five different versions all playing different two-drops and stuff and different lands. Uh, and it's just a matter of, you know, that stuff, really hard to shake out. But I think that um I would be surprised if if by then there wasn't a very, very clear picture of what the format looked like. I don't think that's really solved or really even really a bad thing. I don't think it's going to be like, oh, well, if you're not playing, like, this exact 75 or, like, you know, uh like you're you're wasting your time but i I think it might be close to uh close to the end of the format uh like coming up with anything really crazy or really no i think we'll be in the in the late stages by the end of next month so
1: for sure yeah it's crazy to think there will no previews from the next set before we play the invitational anyways uh yeah, the Invitational, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a philosophical. I'm going to give you the the philosophy major in college answer to this question. Formats are solved uh, at the point at which people don't care anymore, and the incentives stop playing for them, right? Because there's no reason to play them. And once there's no reason to play a format, then the cycle kind of stops, right? Because very rarely is there actually a format where there is one definitive best deck, then it has like no bad matchups, nothing like that. and. You can say what you want about the recent, uh, you know, world qualifier stuff and rivals weekends. Maybe the incentives aren't quite there as much, but a lot of people were playing for like a fifty thousand dollars paycheck, basically, right? Like they would still make the MPL. They aren't going to get anything from it outside the paycheck, but that's a lot of money on the line. That's essentially a pro tour, right? So there were some real incentives for some real people, and we saw a wide diversity of decks, despite one deck being the most played. I, I believe it was Sultai. For the last uh, rivals thing but i can't remember exactly but it doesn't really matter what matters is there was one deck that saw more play than others but there were other things that you can do to attack that and i think in a healthy metagame and even not so healthy ones as long as they aren't completely busted there's a lot of things you can do to kind of attack and target those sort of things whether they're right or not it really leads to a lot of debate and a lot of questions i think that's one of the cool things about magic but I think there's a lot of things you can do. So my answer to this question is, I believe the format will be solved at the end of the Invitational one Sunday. I expect to hear people at the FNM level and stuff like that say like, oh, this is the best deck or whatever, you know, and it's whatever deck had the most number of top eights or the one that won, right? And there's going to be like Autumn Burchette went 21 and zero across the weekend, right? Something along those lines. And that will be the narrative. And that's how it will go down in history for a lot of people. And that's fine. And that's just the way things go. And so I think once the incentives are gone to play this standard format, we hear a lot of complaining because people won't be trying to fix things. They won't be trying to innovate it. And a lot of people just don't have the time to really put in to really change and churn a metagame. And so I think we see that happen with the content recently where there probably was a lot of stuff to do in the last year in format, but it was so played out. They were, we've played with these cards so much. We mentioned the Eldraine problem. There's very little reason to play standard and you know, content creators are people. I know that like, <laughs> I don't want to play a bunch of magic before I know when a new set's gonna drop and I'm going to play like 40 hours of Magic, like I mentioned, you know? Last five days, I spent most of my time playing Magic. So um, I think that sort of thing just kind of plays into it all. And so I, I think that whether it's true or not, there will be a narrative about what the format was by November 1st. So that is kind of my answer to that question. Uh, so <laughs> thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Constructive Criticism. I'm glad I could get philosophical on you, a philosophizer as you would. Uh, if you want to find all of us, you can find Spencer on Twitter at Spencer13h. You can find Abe at MoreMORNoThings. You can find me at Mason D. Clark. Thank you so much. You can follow the podcast at CCMTG to get updates and everything along the lines there. We'll see you all next week for another episode of Constructed Criticism.